Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. to us. Hallelujah. He's our advocate. Hallelujah. He's our helper. He's our paraclete. God, he's everything that we need. Everything that Jesus was, the Holy Ghost is to us, Lord. And we thank you so much that he, he dwells inside of us. The greater one is inside of us, Lord. Greater than anything in the world. And we thank you and praise you for that, Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the word that's about to come forth this morning. God, it's your word. And God, you said you sent your word, and it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that which you please, and it will prosper in the thing whereto you sent it. So, Lord, we're looking for the word to prosper this morning, because we know it pleases you when your word prospers in us. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us revelation, a rhema word this morning, giving us knowledge and understanding. Make it clear to us, Holy Ghost. I'll do my best to preach it. Hallelujah. With boldness and clarity and simplicity. And above all, rightly dividing it. And making sure that it's accurate before it comes out of my mouth. And may the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth be pleasing only unto you, Lord. But let it be prosperous in, to the ones that hear it, Lord. Let them hear your word come out of my mouth that it may prosper in their lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you said you wish above all things that we prosper and be in good health, even as our soul prosper. Lord, this is a time for our soul to prosper this morning so that we can prosper in proportion to it in our physical lives and natural lives. So we thank you and praise you for every good and perfect thing that comes down from above today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. You may amen. be seated. Hallelujah. Children, you're dismissed. Youth, you're dismissed. Praise the holy name this morning. Thank you, Judah. Good job. Hallelujah. We're going to continue looking at the seven letters to the seven churches. In the book of Revelation. So open with me to chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 29. We're going to be studying the church at Thyatira this morning. The church at Thyatira. Jesus is dictating these letters to the Apostle John. And he's writing them down. To later be distributed to the seven messengers. The seven pastors of the seven churches. In Asia Minor, the seven major churches. There, there was many, many more churches at this time. This is around 95 A.D., so you can imagine how many churches were founded and started uh, during those 95 years since Jesus went to heaven. And in Revelation 2:18, he says, "And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, unto the pastor, the messenger of the church in Thyatira, write." These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffereth that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things, sacrifice unto idols. 
And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which you have already, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I want to make a disclaimer this morning before I even start. I want you to understand that I'm not bashing the Catholic Church this morning. I'm simply going to be talking about the history of this church in Thyatira and the many hundreds of years that followed this letter. And it has a lot to do with the Catholic Church and the leadership of the Catholic Church. But I'm going to be speaking about it only from a historical standpoint. I'm not giving you my opinion of the Catholic Church. I love the Catholics. I've been a Catholic. I was a Catholic for 38 years. I have uh, most of my family is Catholic, so I have nothing against the Catholic Church. I just want to make that clear before we start. Thyatira represents the age of the Roman Catholic Church from 600 to 1500 A.D. This was the rise and the the uh, reign of the Catholic Church. And in a lot of ways, it represents the Catholic Church of today. Thyatira, the very name of it, actually means continual sacrifice. And this is what the Catholic Church holds its mass to be, a never-ending sacrifice of Jesus' body. Jesus announced to the church in Thyatira, This is the Son of God who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. In other words, he's telling them, I see and I judge. I see and I judge. Because that's what those mean. He's got piercing eyes that see everything. He doesn't miss anything. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. And the, the feet of fine breath represent, I'm walking towards you with judgment. It doesn't mean you're going to get judged, but you will if you don't change what I'm about to tell you. He sees and he judges. And then he commends them for their works and love and service and faith and perseverance and how they're progressing because their works are getting better and better. But then in verse 20, he says this, Notwithstanding, nevertheless, however, in spite of all these good works and your perseverance, I have a few things against you mainly because you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. So in order to fully understand why Christ is so upset with this church, actually the leadership of the church, we need to know something about that woman that he calls Jezebel. So we're going to have to take a little side journey here into the Old Testament. You won't have to turn anywhere. I'll just tell you everything that I learned by my journey. But she was the daughter of a heathen king by the name of Eth Baal. Eth Baal. Of the Sidonians. And she was without a doubt the most evil woman, not only in the Old Testament, but in the entire Bible. You will not find a woman that is more evil or wicked than Jezebel. Now Ahab was the king of Israel's northern kingdom. The kingdom was divided at this time. And he was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was God's man for the job. 
And against God's commandments and against God's will, he married Jezebel. And Jezebel was a very seductive and controlling woman. And before long, she lured Ahab into the worship of Baal. Of course, that's what her nation worshipped. I mean, I mean, that's where the name of this heathen king came from, Eth Baal. Baal, Eth Baal. But anyway, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel eventually led the entire nation of Israel down the same path. And Ahab actually built, the Bible says, the house of Baal, but it's a temple of Baal. And he built it in the very capital city of Samaria and set up an altar there for Baal worship. And we know that Baal altar of sacrifice was for children. And he also made groves that would be equivalent to our parks or our gardens. You know, you go to a park or a garden, you walk and you see the beautiful trees and gardens and little ponds and things. It's a pleasant place to be, but he set up Asherah poles there as a tool of worship for another pagan god of Jezebel. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, it tells us that King Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than any other king that came before him. All the kings of Israel up to that time, and Ahab was the most evil of all of them. And he provoked the Lord to anger more than all of them. Jezebel was also known for her evil actions. And after her marriage to Ahab, one of her first recorded actions was cutting off the prophets of God by beheading them. And she wanted to replace the prophets of God with her false prophets of Baal. And she also had prophets of Asherah. And there was a God-fearing man by the name of Obadiah who was a servant in the Lord, in, in uh, a servant of the Lord and an officer in King Ahab's court. And he seen what she was attempting to do, so he gathered up a hundred prophets and he hid them by fifties in two different caves, fifty prophets in each cave, and he uh, brought them food and water, and he provided for them the entire time of the persecution from Jezebel. He preserved them. And it was during this reign of Ahab and Jezebel that Elijah was a major prophet in Israel. And I mean major. Elijah was a major prophet. Amen? I mean, they're all major in a sense, but Elijah was a major, major prophet. And he was in Israel at the time. And Satan might have had his chosen couple on the throne of the kingdom of northern Israel, but God had his chosen man in the field, and he's performing miracles, and he's leading the great revival against Baal worship. But God was so pleased, with, so displeased with King Ahab and Jezebel that he called on Elijah to pronounce a three-year drought on the nation of Israel. To be precise, about three and a half years. No rain for three and a half years. A drought, and of course, what follows drought? A famine, because they're not growing anything in the fields, amen? They're not, they're not growing wheat or grain, they can't feed their cattle, and, and so the cattle dies off. It's a terrible drought, a terrible thing in Israel. And so Elijah went up to Ahab and he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, it's bad enough not to get any rain, but no dew either on the ground. No moisture of any kind, no water. The heavens are shut up. And you remember the story. God provided for Elijah down at the brook Cherish for the entire time of the first part of the drought anyway, and he had him, uh, he had ravens bring him two meals a day, one in the morning, one in the evening, and when the brook dried up and the ravens stopped flying, God sent Elijah to a widow in Zarephath and provided for him there. And this is where we have precedence, and if you could put some faith in this, rather than in your job, you have to understand that your job is God's a way of provision for you. But that's not the only way he has. That's why you need to stand up for God and not stand up for your job. 
Because your job is not your source. Your job is not your source of provision. God is. And just like with Elijah, he provided for him at the brook Cherish until the brook dried up. And that wasn't the end of Elijah or his provision. God sent him to a widow in Zarephath and provided for him there. And had the, not, had the drought not ended there, God had another place of provision for him. And that's why it's so important we stay in the will of God. And, and you know, me and Paddywhack worked together for 20 years out there at that Ford plant. And we were threatened many of times of having our provision cut off. In other words, we're going to lose our contract and lose our jobs. And, you know, those guys were fretful of that. They were sweating it out. You know, what am I going to do if I lose this job? I, you know, I've got seven more years on my pension before I can draw my, what am I going to do? I wasn't worried about it, and neither was Pattyway. Why? Because we understood that was not our source. That was just a place of provision that the Lord gave us at the time. So I knew if Ford closed the doors, God would send me to a widow if necessary. He would send me wherever I needed to go, my next job for provision. So, you know, don't look at your employer. Look at your provider. Amen? But anyway, close to the end of the third year, the Lord told Elijah to go and present himself to Ahab. And he was sending rain on the land. And you know, Elijah, just like all the prophets, they had to have a lot of faith and a lot of guts. Because he's one man by himself. And he knows that Ahab is ticked at him because Ahab is blaming him for the drought. And he knows that Ahab and Jezebel have 850 false prophets sitting at her table that could attack him at any time he go, he shows his face in Israel. But Elijah goes and he confronts Ahab. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, the first thing Ahab says to him, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? And Elijah probably stuck his finger in Ahab's face and said, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers for Israel because you refuse to obey the commandments of the Lord and you have worshipped the images of Baal. Don't call me a troublemaker. Look in the mirror. So Elijah tells Ahab, if you want to see rain again, here's what you need to do. Summon all the uh, nation of Israel to join us in Mount Carmel. And Bring the 450 uh, prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah to Bring them all. One man, hey, uh, Elijah, one man. And he summons all Israel and all, and now all, all of Israel's following after King Ahab. They're all in uh, Baal worship. Plus the 850 prophets of Baal. So Ahab summons all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And Elijah preaches to him and, and he tells him, how much longer are you going to straddle the fence here? If the Lord is God, then follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. Make up your minds. So then Elijah challenges Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. He challenges them to a showdown right there on Mount Carmel. And he tells Ahab and all his prophets, he says, you build an altar to Baal, and I'll build an altar to the one and only true God of Israel, and we'll put wood on it, and we'll put a sacrifice on it, and then you pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. So Ahab and the prophets agreed to it. And you know the story. You know, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah danced around that altar and they cried and they cut themselves and they laid on the altar themselves and they just screamed and did the things that Baal worshippers do. And nothing happened. As a matter of fact, I, Elijah was mocking them and making fun of them. He's saying, hey, maybe your God went on a trip. 
Maybe he's on vacation. He might be on the toilet. One translation actually says that. He says, keep crying, keep. And finally, when they were wore out, he said, all right, it's my turn. And Elijah says, bring me some barrels of water, pour it on the altar. And he wanted to make sure that they could not accuse him of somehow setting that fire from beneath. Because this fire had to come from above anyway. And he said, dig a trench. He dug a trench. He said, fill the trench with water. Soak the wood. Soak the sacrifice. Soak everything. And then he prayed a simple prayer. And don't you know God answered from heaven? He answered by fire. I, I guess lightning. I don't know what it was. But it hit that altar. Sucked up the sacrifice. All the wet wood. The rocks and stones. And licked up all the water in the ditch. There was no doubt who the God of Israel was after that. So then, I mean, this is one man of God challenged the present leadership and correct. Can't help myself. One man of God stood up and challenged the present leadership of the nation and the false, corrupt news media. And these false prophets had the full support of the president and, I mean, the queen and the king of the whole nation. But the God of Israel is the one who answered by fire. He showed up and showed out that day, and when he was done, all Israel repented, and I believe Ahab repented too. He seen the thing. He seen everything. And so God proved to be the one and only true God of Israel. And I know it's been a long time a drop. Matter of fact, it's been about three years, but God's about to challenge the modern day Ahab and Jezebel to a showdown, and I promise you, rain is coming, and a time of refreshing is coming. Just hold on a little bit longer. Hallelujah. As the old saying goes, there's a crack in the dam. So Elijah, the anointed prophet, the man of God, had those 850 false prophets taken down to the brook Kishon, and he went down there and slew every one of them with the sword. Now, I don't know. You can say, well, he had Israel do it, or he had this done, or that done, or, but the Bible says Elijah slew him with the sword. That was a big job for one man. <laughs> And I'm sure they weren't too cooperative. But he did it. He accomplished it. And then true to his word, because he said that God said the rain wouldn't come except at his word. So he goes up to the top of the mountain and he begins to pray for rain. And you know the story. Seven times back and forth. Finally the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's all I need. He had enough faith in that little cloud. And so he tells, he tells Ahab, he says, get you back to Jezreel. And, he, and Ahab took his fastest chariots and fastest horses, and he went to Jezreel. And the Bible says Elijah girded up his loins, he pulled his gown up, and he outran them chariots to Jezreel. Now, Jezebel don't know what's going on here. And I'm sure that when he got back to the castle, he says, you should have seen what I seen. You know, Israel turned back to God, and I think he did too. But Jezebel took care of that real quick. And so she threatens Elijah with his life. Well, that's going to be a story for another day. But anyway, she threatens Elijah. She says, she says, she says I'm going to kill you with the sword just like you killed my prophets. And so it shook Elijah up, and he ran and backslid for a little while, but he finally come around. But Ahab was supposed to be the leader of God's people, and because Jezebel, and because of Jezebel, he forsook the Lord and served other gods. And so they earned a reputation for sin and violence, and as a result of that, they suffered violent and very dishonorable deaths as part of God's judgment on their actions. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but back in those times, and when in certain oriental countries and, 
and cultures, it's very important that when you die, you die an honorable death. And so they didn't die an honorable death. They died a very dishonorable death. And although the Jezebel of the Old Testament has been long dead, here in Revelation, her, her reputation and her spirit lives on. And this is what Jesus is addressing here in Revelation 2.20. Jezebel's reputation and spiritual influence lives on as he speaks against the church at Thyatira. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And I believe he's talking to the pastor. Because he's the leadership. He's the leader of the church. And if he allows it, the people allow it. He says, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You know, this is the same problem we've seen in the other three churches we looked at so far. Uh, it's that Nicolaitan doctrine and the doctrine of Baal that they're still practicing. And it's all the same things as the Jezebel of the Old Testament did. And one of the most outstanding evils of Jezebel, and I have to tell this story because it applies to that church in Thyatira, and it applies to that period of time in the rise of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, is when she plotted against Naboth, an innocent vineyard owner, an owner of a vineyard. Ahab coveted his vineyard. He, it, was, it was adjacent to his palace and his property. And he looked over into that beautiful vineyard and he said, I want that vineyard. And he had enough money to buy it. But when he went to Naboth, Naboth refused to sell it because he said, it's been in my family for generations and it's going to continue to be in my family for generations. And so he goes back to the palace. To the palace, he's all... Uh, discomfited and he's all down in his mouth and everything and, and Jezebel says what's the matter honey and he cries and says that well I want to buy Naboth's vineyard and he won't sell it to me she says don't worry honey I'll take care of it and so she falsely accuses Naboth of cursing God which was a, a crime that was sentenced by death in Israel at the time and so she arranged an inquisition. Remember that word, inquisition. And it's basically a modern-day interrogation or investigation into somebody. And, and she did it to see if the charges could be brought against this innocent landowner. And uh, it would be like being brought before a grand jury today. You know, it's not a, a, a tr trial with a judge, per se, but it's... Uh, it's a pre-trial to see if there's enough evidence to get you into a trial. And so she brought false witnesses, of course, to accuse him. And they testified that they heard him curse God. That's why God hates a false witness. It's one of the commandments. Don't bear false witness. Because it destroys people's lives for nothing. And so they, of course, found him guilty. And the innocent man was stoned to death. And it was all a sham just so Jezebel could take his property through the Inquisition and give it to her evil husband, Ahab. Well, that made him happy. He's not too happy now, but it was happy at the time. But that same spirit of Jezebel was operating in the church at Thyatira during a time of great power and corruption for the church that lasted, like I said, about from 600 to 1500 A.D., about 900 years. And that's why Jesus addressed Jezebel the way he did. And it was during that time that the powerful church brought against the people inquisitions. Why? So they can make false accusations against them and through these inquisitions and the false accusations, they bombed up a lot of land and ruined innocent people's lives in the process, just like they did Naboth. And that's why that spirit, Jesus spoke to that spirit, because that's the spirit that was operating in the church. Incredible amounts of property 
And it was all in there to quench the thirst of the church for power and wealth at that time. And so politics and power began to mix and it corrupted the church. And when church and state were joined, the church began to look more like government than it did the church. And the church, like government, began pushing their leaders up and their people down. Their leaders up and their people down. Put burdens on the back of the people that were not necessary and they shouldn't have been bearing. Made the people poor and the church and government rich. So the government back then got involved in the church because of the tremendous influence that the church had over so many people. They says, hey, we can get the church on our side and we can use their influence to push us up and push them down. So they were in cahoots and they began to manipulate the people and together they were extorting large amounts of money from them and confiscating land through these inquisitions. Again, this is historical. This is history. You can look it up for yourself. It's church history. Look up uh, inquisitions. Just Google inquisitions and you'll learn everything that I'm telling you today. But the common people had to go through the Pope and bishops and priests to reach God because they claimed exclusive access to God. And if you wanted to speak to God, you would have to go through them and it was going to cost you something to do it. It was all in an effort to control the people. So the church went through what was called and become known as the Dark Ages. And it was during this, this age of the Thyatira church. The masses were done in Latin. And they were for well into the 20th century because when I was a child, I went to masses that were done in Latin. And I sat there and I didn't understand a thing that was going on. And that's the way they wanted it because the priest would tell you what was going on. And so... Eventually, it got to where you can go to the regular Latin Mass at 9 o'clock, and at 10.30, they had a Mass in English, and then later a Mass in Spanish, and then later they introduced a guitar. So they're trying to progress and move forward. But common people had to take the church leadership's word for everything that the Bible said. They didn't have the ability to interpret it or read it for themselves. As a matter of fact, they didn't have a Bible. And that's why it was called the Dark Ages, because the people were kept in the dark. And the church was doing it. And they were prospering from it. And vast amounts of land was being acquired, especially in Rome, because at this time, during this dispensation of the Thyatira age of the church, they were building the Vatican. St. Peter's Square, the church there. And it put a tremendous strain upon the church. And so the Pope and the leadership invented what was called indulgences to bring more revenue in. And this is another word you can look up on the internet. Again, everything I'm telling you came from historical writings that you can look up and read for yourselves. But they would hang the punishment of purgatory over the people's heads. And they taught that everyone had to go to purgatory to burn the sins off of their souls because nobody was good enough to go to heaven. So the indulgences were sold to shorten that time in purgatory. Well, how much did they cost? How much time did you want to shave off your stint in purgatory? The more time, the more it costs. But you can buy, you can buy an indulgence for yourself, your family members, and even those who had already died and were supposedly in purgatory, you could buy an indulgence to get them out sooner, get them sprung. Now let's stop and think about it a minute. 
how many poor women and some men, mothers and fathers, prayed for the salvation of their children, their backslidden children? If you have backslidden children and you really love them, and I told you that there was a way to get them to heaven through buying an indulgence, you would buy it. Even though you were poor, you would sell things, you would scrape up every penny to buy that indulgence to get your child out of hell. Wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you buy an indulgence for your wicked husband that went to heaven before you and now he's in, or, or died before you and he's in purgatory? Wouldn't you buy an indulgence to get him out? It was making the people poor and the church rich. And they kept pouring that money into the, well, they paid the government their portion, and then they poured the rest in the Vatican and building the Vatican. Look for it, look at it yourself on the internet. But they bought a lot, they, 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 brought, a, uh, they brought in a lot of what we call ill-gained money. And when Jesus spoke about it, he called it filthy lucre. This is an example of it. And that all ended when Martin Luther rose up against the injustices and the manipulation of God's people, and he nailed, he nailed that 95 thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. And it basically said, salvation is by faith and faith alone. And Paul pretty much said the same thing after the crucifixion of Jesus. He said, Salvation is by faith and the blood alone. Faith and the blood don't cost you anything. It costs God and Jesus everything, but it don't cost you a penny. Don't buy any more indulgences. Amen. Boy, the Pope didn't like that. He rejected the 95 Thesis, and he rejected Martin Luther, and as a result, it started the Protestant Reformation. Protestant means protestant. Martin Luther protested against the Catholic Church. And so because he, he wasn't received anymore, he started his own denomination called Lutheranism. Ever hear of the Lutheran Church? That's where it started. That's where it came from. It was a Reformed Church. And it was based on the fact that he felt God's people were being manipulated, and he says the Bible doesn't teach that. Well, the people didn't know because they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Word. They were in the dark. And so a lot of people followed him because of that, and they left the Catholic Church. And that made the Pope and the leadership and the government very unhappy because the cash cow was dying. Amen. Look it up for yourself. But back to Jezebel. You know, I'm led to believe that the woman Jezebel referred to as that Jezebel by Jesus, I believe she was a real person. And obviously a member of the church of Thyatira, maybe even a leader. She thought, at least she thought she was a prophetess, but Jesus says she wasn't. But I don't think her name was actually Jezebel simply by the way Jesus referred to her. He says, you are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray, just like the real Jezebel of the Old Testament. So when the Lord referred to her as that Jezebel, he was speaking of a personality, a characteristic, an attitude, a disposition, a habit, a mentality. Uh, he was speaking about a spirit that came from the Jezebel of the Old Testament and was alive and well in the church of Thyatira. And the spirit of Jezebel, I know we're, we've been led to believe that it's a controlling spirit, somebody that's controlling. She's a Jezebel because she has to control everything. But it was far more than just a controlling spirit. Yes, it was a controlling spirit, but it was a wicked and evil, heartless spirit. But when he said that Jezebel, the Jews could relate to that because they were very familiar with the Jezebel of the Old Testament. 
And like I said, the woman's name in Thyatira might not have literally been Jezebel. And I don't know if it was or not, but her immorality and idolatry and preying upon God's people was very Jezebel-like. And that's what Jesus was pointing to. So what he was saying is, you, pastor, who was the letters written to? The messengers, the angels, the pastors of, the, of each one of those seven churches. You, pastor, are permitting that Jezebel of a woman, that wicked woman who calls herself a prophet, to lead my children astray, and I ain't happy about it. And that's exactly what Jezebel did in the Old Testament, led God's people astray. So whoever she was, she was promoting destructive heresies and leading many people into moral compromise. And the pastor didn't care. He was allowing her to lead the people astray through these false doctrines that she was teaching. She was actually teaching a perverted gospel. And she's telling the people that, no, you don't have to leave your pagan practices to be a Christian. Just like the Nicolaitans and the Baal, the adoption of Baal. You can continue to live this life of the flesh and the life of sin and still be a Christian. God knows that you can't help yourself. That's a perverted gospel. And the name Jezebel here in Revelation is being used symbolically and had in fact become proverbial for not only controlling, but wickedness, seduction, sexual immorality, and false doctrine. So you call somebody a Jezebel, it's more than just somebody that has a controlling spirit. I think twice about calling somebody a Jezebel. But you can say, she has a spirit of Jezebel. <laughs> so in addition to being a controlling witch, she was a wicked and dangerous influence in the church of Thyatira that led many people, many people astray with her teaching. She was actually sending people to hell because they thought they were safe doing what they were doing, but they weren't. So the doctrine of Jezebel is the very thing that has swept into the church today. I mean, we have a gospel of toleration and acceptance. A gospel of adaptation. And we need to recognize it when we see it. It's a destructive doctrine that's sending people to hell. And just like we're seeing in our country today, this doctrine of Jezebel teaches that evil is good and good is evil. And it's a doctrine of seduction because it's seducing people into this teaching and they're teaching that it's not only okay to sin, but they're teaching you that the church has to accept it and tolerate it. Adapt to it. One very famous female politician, who I believe is a modern day Jezebel in every sense of the word, I think if Jesus paid her a visit, he would call her that woman Jezebel. She said, and I quote, the church is behind the times and must adopt this modern day culture. Excuse me, but like hell. The word of God doesn't change for anybody. If God calls it a sin, it's a sin. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says don't do it, he means don't do it. Yes. And before this church adopts that modern day culture, elephants will roost in trees and devils will be ice skating in hell. And you know, it's, it's, it's getting worse every day, but it started a few years ago when the drought started. But you try to call sin out and you're censored for it and you're told that you have no business calling it out because it hurts people's feelings and it offends people. Well, I'm sorry if it does. Go to your safe space. 
We don't have one here, but find your safe space and go there. Because if God says it's wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong. If he says it's evil, I'm going to say it's evil. Amen. If he says it's sin, I'm going to say it's sin. Amen. Jesus rebuked the church because they accepted it. And he rebuked them, the church because he didn't just rebuke Jezebel. He rebuked the church and the pastor and the leadership of the church because they were accepting it. And if Jesus isn't going to tolerate and accept it, then I'm not going to tolerate and accept it either. Jesus calling her Jezebel is without a doubt linked historically to the Jezebel of the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab, who was the most immoral and evil woman of almost unimaginable wickedness and perversity. She was heavily involved in Baal worship and the sacrifice of children. And this is what this modern day culture wants us to accept. Like Medea would say, oh, hey, oh, no. <laughs> All the while, the pastor of the church and then later the popes and the bishops and the other leaders that evolved from that church were all involved in fornication and idolatry and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which actually means, like I said last week, power over the people. That's all they were interested in. And the church took on a structure that looked more like the government than it did the church. And that's one of the reasons our founding fathers gave us the First Amendment. They declared separation of church and state for this very reason, but it's been manipulated and misinterpreted by many on a certain side of the aisle. This side, if you're facing this side of the aisle, that thinks it means to keep the church out of the government. And that's why you see the rejection of God in the government. The rejection of the Pledge of Allegiance because it mentions God. They don't want the Ten Commandments in the courthouses. They don't want prayer in school, nativity signs in public uh, scenes in public places and so on. They're trying to totally push God out of not only government but out of the nation and out of our lives just like Jezebel did. That's why he said that woman, that Jezebel. Separation of state was designed to keep the government out of the church and not the other way around. And the proof of that is in our founding documents like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and all its supporting documents, sentence after sentence, paragraph after paragraph, all mention God throughout all of these founding documents. You can't tell me they wanted God out of the government and not the government out of the church. The church is definitely supposed to be an influence in government and not the other way around. And that's why Jesus' words to this Jezebel were so harsh. But as terrible as her sin was, he still loved her. And he gave her time to repent. Just like the Nicolaitans, Jesus hated their sin, but he didn't hate them. Jesus hated Jezebel's sin, but he loved her enough to give her time to repent. Unfortunately, she didn't, and the church went through 900 years of hell. Jesus said, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Jezebel was unwilling to repent, so there was a bed of intense suffering set aside for her to endure. And so Jesus, with his eyes of fire and his feet of brass, he says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And this is the tribulation of the Old Testament, of the book of Revelation that we talked about after the rapture. He said, except they repent of their deeds. Well, they didn't repent. He said, and I will kill her children with death, 
And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. I don't think God is a child murderer, because he's not. That's the devil's job. But what he's saying here is everything she produces through these false doctrines is going to go to bed with her, and I'm going to kill them all together. I'm going to kill everything that she established with her false doctrines. I'm going to put an end to it. But he's really saying here what he says all along. You will reap what you sow. It's going to be according to your works. And the sins that we think we're getting away with right now, you know, the ones we think God is not aware of, the ones we think that God doesn't see, the ones we think that God just winks at because he knows that we have these needs and he don't expect us to overcome these needs. He's, it's okay. It's okay to do both. That's the doctrine of Jezebel. That's the doctrine of Baal and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we're far above that. We don't have to succumb to that. Jesus died for the purpose of delivering us from that. God poured out his grace so that we'd have enough power and anointing to resist that type of lifestyle yes. and not have to go back yes. to the pagan style of life yes. we came out of. Yes. And I know a lot of people think, well, I was never bad. I come from a good family. You still go to hell just as fast as a rank sinner that murders somebody. We all come from a pagan lifestyle. We all come from a lifestyle that said it's okay to do the things that you're doing. It's not okay. The things that we do uh, against God's word are the exact same things that put Jesus on the cross and got him crucified. Those are the exact same things he died for. You mean to tell me he died for nothing? No. God's not ignoring those sins. And if you've been getting away with it, it's only because he's given you space to repent, time to repent. Yes. And he's patient. Yes. But if you don't, then sooner or later, he will come with his feet of brass and his eyes that pierce, and you will know that he's seen everything, and you will know that you're going to be judged for it. Yes. There'll be a consequence according to your works. This is the gospel of they don't want us to preach. Is anybody's feelings getting hurt? You feeling uncomfortable? If you are, then you better get rid of that sin. Because that's what's making you uncomfortable now in preaching. But Jesus also tells those who, who don't hold to their teaching. And they receive no correction for it, showing us that even with the corrupt church, there are a lot of faithful, God-loving, God-fearing people in it. That's why I say we can't just bash the Catholic church or bash the Methodist church or bash, bash the Protestant church, which we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, there's good people in these churches. Yes. There is no perfect church on the earth. Yes. There's going to be bad people in good churches just like there's bad doctors and bad lawyers and bad auto mechanics and bad car salesmen. But we don't throw out the whole church. We don't throw out the whole car industry because of a few bad apples, right? God will sort all of that out. We just keep loving them, just like Jesus did. Don't love their sin, but love them. And, you know, we may not always gain ground like we should, like we could. But I can say this with a, every bit of assurance. We should never lose ground. That's why he said, hold fast to what you have. Don't let go of what you have. Advance when you can, advance if you can, but never go backwards. Never retreat. If you take ground for the kingdom of God, you hold that ground. Even Jesus said, occupy till I come. Yes. That's what it means. You hold that ground yes. that you've gained for the kingdom of God. 
and you gain some more yeah. and you push forward yeah. and you keep pushing forward. Don't ever go backwards. Don't ever go back to that pagan lifestyle. No matter who tells you it's okay, because it's not, and it never will be. So if you need to be in a church where you're comfortable and your feelings never get hurt, go somewhere else. Because I'm gonna tell the truth as long as I've got breath in me. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, and then just like with all the other churches, he promises them, if you overcome, I have a great reward for you. All of God's rewards are great. But he says, I'll give you the morning star. There's only one morning star. And that's the bright morning star, which is Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that I will have you walking in the light of my glory. If you just hold on and overcome, if you're just victorious in this thing, You'll walk in my glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He always rewards the faithful. Yes. Always. So don't think you've been overlooked. Don't think that all the good work you've done is for naught. God sees yes. with those flames, flames of fire. Yes. And he knows. He knows. And if you haven't been rewarded yet or think you haven't been rewarded yet, hold on. It's coming. And it's coming soon. Yes. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, you find good in all of us. Just like you found good in every one of those churches. And, thank you, Lord. But you also, you also love us enough to point the, the errors out. To point the things wrong. To point out the things that we're doing wrong. And it ain't because you're nitpicky or you're mean to us. It's because you know that if we don't turn these things around, they're going to wind up sending us to hell and everybody that we get to follow us. And that's why you bring such strong correction sometimes. But God, if you didn't love us, you wouldn't discipline us. And even the word says we'd be bastard children without a father if we didn't get disciplined. So discipline is love, Lord. You can discipline me anytime that you see fit. Show me the neverthelesses, the howevers in my life. And I'll be like King David, quick to repent and quick to get back on track. Show us all, Lord. We can handle it. We can take it in this church. I know this church can handle it. This church could have their toes stepped on and not have their feelings hurt. God, I believe we want correction. Yes. I believe the worst misbehaved child on earth wants correction because yes. he knows that it means he's loved. Yes. So God, correct me because I know it's because you love me. Correct every one of us, God, when we go straight. Yes. Straighten us out. And if you have to speak harshly to do it, so be it. Yes. We won't run and hide. We'll repent and we'll change it. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. Thank you for being such a wonderful God and wonderful Savior. Yes. We love you, Lord. We appreciate you. And even when we don't understand, we still love you and we still appreciate you. Because when we don't understand why you say certain things or why certain things happen, we still know one thing for sure. You're still a good God and you never change. You still love us and you never change. And we know that there is nothing that we could ever do that would cause you to not love us anymore. We might get in trouble. We might get a spanking. But we know that you love us. And we love you back for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, if I hurt your feelings today, too bad. I thought I was going to say I apologize, but too bad. There's plenty of churches around here that won't hurt your feelings. This is not going to be one of them. Amen? I love God too much for that, and I love you too much for that. 
God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. We'll see you Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.